0: I'm Anna Webb, welcome to A Dog's Life. you know i love a good book especially ones about dogs which is why we featured at least 10 this year alone so as a christmas special today we're featuring highlights from some of those interviews which might just give you a last minute christmas gift idea in episode 50 i spoke to cbs news correspondent martha teichner about her book when harry met minnie it's a wonderful book a true love story about two bull terriers. But to me, the book was so much more than that, as I put to Martha.
1: Well, I think it is because uh, I think it's about friendship. It's about um, building community, in a big city because New York is a very big city and people don't realize that it's a little collection of small villages and self-made communities. And it's also about New York. It's a kind of a Valentine to New York.
0: Yes, New York is one of the characters most definitely as as a backdrop. It's interesting because it's all really centres around a chance encounter in a farmer's market with a very old dog acquaintance or dog
1: walking acquaintance you had that you hadn't seen in years, right? Right. Uh, Well, he had moved away um, for for months and months and months I used to see him every day this is uh, someone who had a great big very fluffy golden retriever named Teddy and I would see this person and Teddy uh, when I would walk my two bull terriers Goose and Minnie uh, along the Hudson River in something called Hudson River Park and he knew my dog's names I knew his dog's name We didn't know each other's names because that's kind of how it goes. It really is. He disappeared and I didn't see him for a year or two. And then all of a sudden uh, on July 23rd, 2016, there he was at the Union Square Farmers Market on a Saturday morning. I go there virtually every week with one or more dogs And at that point, Goose had died and Minnie was very sad and I was very sad. And I was there after coaxing Minnie to go because I really struggled to get her to go anywhere. And I looked up and there was Stephen. I learned his name um, in the conversation I had. He pointed at me and said, where's Goose? And I told him that Goose had died. And um, he pulled out his phone and showed me a picture he had taken you know, when we were dog walking. And it was a picture of Goose and Minnie that he had sent to his friend, Carol Fertig, who had a Bull Terrier. And he said, well, you know, my friend Carol, who has this dog, Harry, uh, is dying of liver cancer, and nobody wants Harry. Um, Carol is is more concerned about what happens to Harry than she is about herself. Would you take him? And (laughs) I just stood there, and um, you know, it sort of—you feel funny all over, th- realizing that something big is about to happen. And um, uh, I said, um, I, you know, it sort of came bubbling out of me. Well, if they get along, maybe. And um, so then he introduced himself. I introduced myself, and he—he he set in motion every single thing that happened in the book, and. If I hadn't been where I was at exactly that moment, and if he hadn't been where he was at exactly that moment, none of it would have happened. And what was weird about it is that I had never seen him at the farmer's market before in 20-something years of going there, every Saturday just about. And I've never seen him since at the farmer's market, except when we took him there to film a story for, for CBS Sunday morning where I work about the book. So it was a chance encounter that was critical to everything. And it was almost like, in, in retrospect, it was like being nudged into place by fate. Jane Elson is a children's author whose books center around
0: animals. Her latest book, Sea Biscuit, is about the famous racehorse. But I first discovered her after the dog-centric book, Moondog, came out. When we met recently on Mike's roof terrace, I asked her about the book's themes and its inspiration.
2: I had this image in my mind of a young boy who got into bad company and vandalised a building and then found puppies in this outbuilding and knew he had to do the right thing. That was the starting image. And then the whole story came to me with the whole puppy farm thing. And the research was heartbreaking. So I talked to Mark Abraham, Lucy's law learned all about Lucy's law Ira was a wonderful inspiration um Ira Moss who the general manager of All Dogs Matter yeah um she was amazing with helping with the research because there's a rescue center in Moondog and I wanted it to be run as rescue centers are so she was valuable so valuable and there were so many wonderful documentaries like Sam Poling and yeah, and
0: heartbreaking that, research. Yeah, that documentary really was, yeah. wasn't That was the 2016 yeah. Yeah. documentary yes. that won awards for yes. Panorama. Yes, back yeah. Oh, um, documentary that totally you know, said it as it was yes. and revealed the real horrors of puppy farming yes. that yeah. was so appropriate last year because of the puppy I boom know.
2: people say that my books always hit the zeitgeist and out, just as Moondog yes. was coming out the puppy boom happened and all these terrible stories about people getting puppies online and Gosh, yeah. And the tour I'm doing to speaking to children, they're the next generation of dog owners. So if I can get it into their minds, what questions to ask when getting a dog, how to look out for these people so that's I make them dog detectives yeah so they, have to, they have to find the right questions well I
0: think it's really important in terms of education most definitely but I love the lead characters in Moondog thank uh, you. I loved Moondog actually thank yeah. you because Daniel the lead yes yeah he he was dog mad it, yeah it Marcus <laughs> in Moondog yeah he, Marcus. yeah yes so yeah I'm confused so it's I'm, easy I'm, to <laughs> I know so we'll segue in a minute yeah. to the latest book yeah. which I'm still reading so um I can't give away any spoilers, no. James. I haven't quite got there, but I'm on ten to hooks. Um to hooks, you probably know the bit I'm quite close to the end, but mm-hmm. but we'll segue that but yes so sorry so Marcus he was just dog obsessed absolutely as a young lad and he sort of reminded me of me (laughs) reading lots of dog books and the breeds of dogs and and just being really dog centric and he wasn't allowed to have a dog
2: no he wasn't and it broke his heart and and then Moondog appears the Newfoundland in the house next door and he becomes obsessed and through that the two children they go on this adventure and they discover the puppy farm and what's happening and they go on this big venture of discovery and become very rescue-minded children
0: one of my favorite interviews this year was about my favorite book the forever dog it's written by dog influencer rodney habib and one of my heroes dr karen becker who told me how her philosophy of preventative medicine inspired the
3: book having my own animals and being obsessed with having them not just here for as long as possible, but as healthy as they can be. If I can keep my animals above the level of disease, they will be happier and I will be able to enjoy them longer. So that's logical for me as a pet parent, first and foremost, it's extra logical for me as a wellness proactive veterinarian to partner with my clients to help them intentionally create health through wise lifestyle choices. And then of course, on a much larger social media platform, for all of those people who love their animals just as much as I do, but may not have access to the information on exactly how to go about becoming an advocate for their animals, that is a passion of mine through teaching and educating. I believe that if all of us have the tools we need to make better choices, the end result will be healthier animals. So that has been my passion since, uh, since I I became a proactive veterinarian, which was day one. I knew going to vet school that this, that this was my goal and my passion. And now I just need to convince the world that we need to switch from this reactive model of waiting till disease occurs to proactively preventing disease from occurring. And that really is not just my life mission, but that's exactly what the forever dog book is about. Yeah, absolutely. We love prevention rather than cure. Um, now, Rodney,
0: oh my, you're an internet celebrity, um, an author, <laughs> and you're, you know, you've got global acclaim, really, for your blogging and your video making, which is astonishing, and you're also an animal activist. Your Planet Pause is the most liked and visited pet health page on Facebook. So my, you know, what, what's your driver also as co-author of The Forever
4: Dog? I think my biggest, first of all, thank you. Awesome. Every time I hear my own intro, it's just like I start shaking my head. I, I just feel like definitely not worthy of any of those things. It's just, an incredible, <laughs> it's, an, it's, it's just an incredible sort of testimony to all the pet parents that are just looking for information. I'd love to say, I always say the same thing. I always love to say it's me, but I know it's information, right? We all want our dogs to, to live forever. And of course, that's the biggest driver for me with my dogs. The always the biggest question that I would always ask. You know, when, when two people bump into each other in a, in a dog park, um, Aside from what's your dog's name, it's like, oh my God, how old is your dog? It's always been such a huge question for me. And I remember when I got Sammy, my first dog, that was one of those questions that I I had to answer. And and when, you know, when I started doing research and I started to see all these long lived dogs over the world, I was like, This is what I want to achieve for my dog, which then ultimately became my biggest driver for relaying information. And then of course you know, I've made several mistakes, which, you know, I've spoken about so many times over the years with my animals. And, and those are the same mistakes that I don't want anyone else to, to have to go through. I don't want anybody to ever say, if I only knew then what I know now. So I guess you could say my drive for citizen science, being able to work with researchers and scientists and helping spreading their message, right? Because I think that's one of the big things for people today that say, hey, man, you know, I'd really like to be able to do that, but I'm not sure how. Um, there are so many scientists out there, Anna, that would just, you know, they don't have the communication skills, the social media skills. They'd love to be able to sort of partner up with people. So um, hopefully somebody who's listening to this podcast can hear that, and it might give them the drive and them the push, you know, to want to reach out to to these researchers and help share their information. So that that's, has always been my biggest driver, the dogs and the information. Henry
0: Mance is the features editor for the Financial Times and this year he released a very thought-provoking book called How to Love Animals in a Human-Shaped World. Henry starts the book by examining the nature of love and citing Iris Murdoch about how we as humans just get it wrong.
5: Yeah I mean I started with the idea of love because It's something that people almost say like a nervous tick you know I love animals I'm an animal lover and you know uh, this week uh, or a few days ago the British government announced um, an animal welfare action plan and it said we are a nation of animal lovers and you know I've seen clips of Jose Mourinho the football manager say say something about animals and then say oh I love animals you know and people are really quick to use this this language around love and I sort of uh, got thinking about, well, what does, what does love mean? What does this mean? And I think for a lot of people, and for me, certainly when I was younger, love meant finding animals beautiful, finding, you know, the patterns on a Jaguar or the flight path of an Eagle, finding that something, you know, really that I could watch for for a long time and think those colors I can't find in, you know, in, in the human world. Um, and yet uh actually love means something more than just appreciating beauty because that, that's a sort of pleasure to us and I think what Iris Murdoch really well expressed is you know this, this realization that there is another um you know another individual another experience of the world and how do we how do we then use um uh, our emotion but also use use our our, our sort of concentration on, on on maybe the exterior beauty to sort of think about that inner world so you know if if the colours of an orangutan or a jaguar are beautiful, can we also think about how the mind of that orangutan or that jaguar is working and how we can therefore see the world through their eyes? And so I think emotion, you know, it, it does mean that we don't love all animals equally. You know, snakes will, n- will probably never have the same attention that elephants do. Um, but I think the emotional connection um, with the animal world can, can lead us to change our behaviour and lead us to, um, to rethink how we live.
0: Well, yes, well, I really hope so, because what seems to have happened, Henry, is that we've made a bit of a big mess of it, really. I mean, you spent a lot of time in Colombia, which I learned through the book. South America is somewhere I've never been. I'd love to go, actually. I've done Africa and uh, East Africa and India and learned a lot, obviously, culturally there. Indeed, how they obviously treat their animals, perhaps not as well as we do here. But that's down to poverty rather than conscious decisions and darwin actually even said that the main difference between us and all other animals was our consciousness and our minds and we haven't really been using those to best effect
5: i mean i think the world we've created is a is a is a a sort of sad one a a missed opportunity given how much we we love animals i mean you know and the two sort of main drivers i think are you know the farm, the way we farm and particularly the intensification of agriculture you know chickens cooped up in shed but also dairy cows uh cooped up in sheds separated from their calves etc and then also this this continual expansion of um human activity which means that biodiversity is is being sort of wiped out across the planet and um i think both the you know it's not just species going extinct it's species having smaller and smaller ranges i mean you know lions you know, probably exist on ten percent or less of their historic range, and you know they're they're constantly coming into or uh, well, rubbing up against human settlements because we we haven't found the ways of of guaranteeing those spaces. I think for me, you mentioned Colombia, which is somewhere um, I lived. It's you know a wonderful country. It's got these. Um, amazing, uh, amazing biodiversity, because it's got the Pacific Coast, the Atlantic Coast, it's got the, the Amazon Basin, the Orinoco Basin, and the Andes Mountains. So you have all these different niches for, for animals it's got the most bird species of anywhere in the world. Um, and for many years, it's had a, a, a conflict around, um, well, fueled by the drugs industry. And there was, you know, there was one very simple reading of that, which was, oh, if we get rid of the drugs industry, then we can protect you know, the Amazon protect the uh, the the wonderful wild spaces we have and, and, and find more of a role for anim- uh, animals. And of course, the drugs industry does terrible things, you know, it, it spills chemicals from uh, cocaine laboratories in the jungle, it, you know, blew up oil pipelines as part of a, a war against the government, etc. And yet, um, at the same time, there's no model of progress which isn't that much better. I mean, when peace came to Colombia, and there was a peace deal in 2016, what happened was that suddenly all these lands which had been effectively kept off limits, and people hadn't gone and cut cut down the forests, well, they started, you know, doing exactly that. And actually, it made deforestation worse in parts of Colombia. And people went in, chopped down the forests, put cows on there, effectively claiming the land. And it showed to me that, you know, we're not, the good guys in a way we, we haven't found a model that really is sustainable and that works. And, you know, I'm certainly not saying that the, the gorillas in Colombia are the good guys, but I'm, I'm saying that, you know, what we've got to do is find, find a better way of living, a better way of balancing and not just relentlessly expand um, human presence.
0: Yes, so totally. Well, you know, so is the answer that we all stop eating meat so that at least the Amazon isn't being chopped down to graze cows? I mean,
5: I think in a sh- it, you know it, it it pains me to say it so simply, uh, Anna. but yes, I mean, really, um a lot of our problems come down to to me. and you know, when I was writing this book, I thought, you know there are so many issues to bring in. you could talk about plastics pollution, pesticide use, et cetera, um and there are loads of things that we could do better, you know, how we recycle the you know the the elements of an electric car, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. but Focus on what the, the most important things you can do. Don't get lost in, in a thousand things, which will be very difficult to keep your attention on. The fact is we use huge amounts of our land, 75% of our um, cultivated land um, for livestock. And that's growing uh, food that we give to animals, but it's also giving the animals uh, space to graze. And that does, that's not an efficient way of doing it. It represents less than 20% of our calories, less than 40% of our protein, we don't need to eat meat, most of us. I mean, there, is, there are some possible uh, uh, exceptions and I, I certainly wouldn't um, uh, exclude it in all cases. But most people, especially in, in Europe and North America, could give up um, animal products and the benefits would be enormous.
0: Jenny Murray is, of course, a broadcasting legend who hosted Woman's Hour for over 30 years and a lover of all dogs, but particularly chihuahuas. Back in the day, the Barking Blondes once appeared on Woman's Hour. And Jenny even signed off that interview with a mighty woof woof. I spoke to her this summer and we talked about her career and her dogs and her autobiography, which was called My Boy Butch, Her First Chihuahua. Now I have a massive fascination for the Chihuahua. And um, something I I noticed when I read your your book, My, My Boy Butch, which um, is all about Butch, who is sat beside me here, your first chihuahua, and um, is, you know, emotional intelligence, Jenny, and, um, you know, the fact that scientists have only relatively recently confirmed that animals do have emotional intelligence, but it's something you do flesh out in a a lot of detail in your book. Explain why, because it was a very difficult chapter of your life.
6: Yeah, I I had breast cancer. And then I had um, a vascular necrosis after chemotherapy, which meant my hips were shot, um, and I had to have my hips replaced. So it was, and my both my parents died. I, yeah, I mean, ugh, they were the most awful years. Um, and the only thing really that that kept me going, in, in fact, I did use the, the cancer business to persuade my husband um, that i had to have a dog <laughs> and he said oh come on you know we've lost william and mary do we really need another dog you know we could be much more free to go places yeah. and, and i said no I, I have to have a dog and butch came along he, he's called butch because he was so tiny when we first went to see him before he was ready to come home um and he sat in my husband's hand and dave said oh, you know this dog. Look at him, he's so sweet. I think we ought to call him Butch. And he said it as a joke, but of course it stuck. So Butch was number one. And he was just a complete comfort throughout those awful, horrible, horrible horrible times. And still is. And now, (laughs) you know, quite funny actually, because he's 15, going on 16. He's arthritic. He's very stiff and we get up in the morning and we go to the top of the stairs and we both look down the stairs and think, right, come on, we've got to do this because I'm quite stiff now, I'm 71 Um, and we, we look after each other and if I go all the way down the stairs and turn the corner, leaving him still slowly coming down the stairs, he barks oh no wait 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 for me wait for me and I have to stand at the bottom of the stairs until he's got all the way down and we have the same palaver every time we go up I'm sorry these dogs are so noisy it's
0: the sphinx he's causing you know commotion because he's He's causing new
6: chaos (laughs)
0: Chaos because he's the new kid you know um they'll settle down Jenny you know I'm just loving your cat (laughs) <laughs> he's making it quite clear that
6: uh, she she's does in charge not disapprove <coughs> yeah she does not approve rather yes um, exactly you're not amused no intruder that's arrived
0: but it is amazing isn't it how dogs do pull you through um, you know the dark times you know yeah. they're so
6: intuitive he gets me completely ah! You because know, people say oh you know a dog will never look you in the eye rubbish you know he will sometimes my husband says you know when we're together in in the house. For goodness' sake, does that dog have to sit at your feet every second of the day, looking up at you hungrily? And I say, he's not looking at me hungrily. He's looking at me lovingly because <laughs> he loves me. But he will. It, you know it's surprising he's sitting next to you he knows another dog lover obviously because normally he will sit right next to me and he looks me in the eye oh. and his favorite trick the treats are always on at the table in the kitchen here which is where i have my breakfast and he'll sit down look me straight in the eye and then go he looks to the left and that's hey come on give us a treat i know where they are <laughs> See, so this is
0: it. Now, if that's not emotional intelligence, oh, yeah, you see, really, it really, can. you know. But do you think women can learn from dogs, Jenny, and, um, in terms of helping them become a bit empowered? You know, not least, because dogs are a social network in real life, not on technology, that I feel, you know, dogs boost your confidence, they get you out, you know, all these things that dogs do, but that can really help. And I couldn't bear
6: being without mine. I really couldn't. Um, yeah, they make me get out because I'm not one who's fond of exercise at all. I know you walked all the way here across Hampstead Heath today which <laughs> fills me with admiration <laughs> you did that. You know, I will go for a little walk as long as there's plenty of benches along ah! the way um, where I can sit down uh, and Butch is quite happy with that as well. He doesn't go scurrying off <laughs> like he used to. Because um, he's, shut up, be quiet, you're meant to be a good dog, Butch. He's the one with the biggest bark. Um, and uh, I don't know, I just I just love them. That's all I can say about them, really. Yeah, yeah. The thought of Butch dying just fills me with doom and despond. And he's had... You know he's an old dog now uh, i'm lucky to always live longer than big dogs would um and i'm doing everything i can to keep him going now we've had a few visits to our privately owned vet very important if you're looking for a vet get one that's owned by a family or you know, privately owned not one of these mega companies who charge so much for treatment um and he he's he's not terribly well
0: sadly not long after we recorded this interview butch passed over the rainbow bridge one of the most comprehensive books about the relationship between humans and dogs is simon garfield's book called a dog's best friend that came out last january it's wide-ranging review of the history of dogs and their human companions and some of it is based on Simon's own relationship with his dog, a black Labrador called Ludo. But it also includes philosophers like Nietzsche.
7: <laughs> yeah, who said that basically, you know, we, we, tell, we tell the story of humanity through our dogs. And, and, you know, how true that is. And, you know, as you said, I think dogs def- do define chapters in, uh, you know, in our, our lives. And uh, yeah, he was actually, this is... Um, Um, something I haven't really talked about. I certainly didn't talk about it um, in in the book, but um, he was... Even more in the book, actually, than, than he is now. So, the first draft had him as um, the narrator. Now, dogs as narrators oh, in really? novel. Oh, Yeah. So, dogs as, as narrators in fiction, as we know, happen quite a lot. And, oh, and I absolutely
0: you know, love it. I mean, my favorite book you mention in the book, <laughs> which is Virginia Woolf's ah, Flush.
7: Flush. Yeah. Absolutely. You know,
0: I mean, absolute classic. I read that probably when I was way before I studied Virginia Woolf at school and, and so on. I love her anyway, uh, but this was just genius.
7: Yeah, well, so, so many books, you know, have dogs, Have uh, so many novels now have dogs as uh, narrators. There, there's one which I really like as well by Andrew O'Hagan. No, where, mine
0: too, Math. Yeah,
7: Math, exactly. So Maureen Monroe's dog, who obviously sees everything, you know, and, uh, and knows everything and has is the keeper of the secrets um yes. uh, a Maltese I think I think it was anyway so yeah, yeah. I thought okay well I thought how about a book of history of of dogs and you know our relationship with dogs written by a dog and I began that way and I uh, thought oh well this is kind of great my editor however felt that this is too surreal and um it's just too too sort of um, niche and um, persuaded me that although he could be, as you know, there are conversations that he has in the book um, towards the end, but i so happy to have him uh, in the book, but maybe not as the uh, narrator. So I, I sort of redid the first draft a bit. But fortunately, he still has um conversations with other dogs um, yeah, he I was, does. Yeah, I love I was, that
0: bit. That's great, you know, because it kind of tackles the the big sort of thrust I would say of the last twelve years, and when you and Ludo obviously been together, which is this um anthrop—I can never say the word. Go on, you say anthropomorphism.
7: To a, to a we can do it together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's because I mean, it's not
0: new, is it?
7: No, it's not new. I mean, that was—you could say, in a way—that um, our, our bond with dogs that goes back, you know, ten. Ten thousand years minimum, maybe fifteen, maybe twenty thousand years has always been a slightly anthropomorphic experience. So you know the the idea of making dogs more human to our advantage. So you know they we began living with them. They hung around our dwelling places and um, they loved the scraps that we left out. And uh, I think they probably loved the protection that we offered. We obviously found them very useful for hunting and warmth and and comfort and you know protection as well all those things um and then over the centuries uh we we have found more and more uses for the dogs and hopefully we haven't tried to make them too human but it's it's pretty obvious in Victorian times, there was a kind of switch, there was a gearing up where, you know, we tried to to have dogs as kind of circus animals and performers. And there's a, a, a picture that I absolutely love, which I think the first picture um, in, in, in my book of um, a Victorian lord in a top hat and a pipe. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's already, as I say, for, you know, a big night out and he's got, he's got a jacket on and this is 150 odd years ago, and obviously that dog is a Labrador, and um, he is, you know, he is, he he's, he's been photographed as a human, and um, so it's it isn't it isn't anything uh, new. I, I suppose the big question is 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 the balance tipping too far?
0: that's our show Mr. Binks. What did you think? Yes, there really is a huge variety of fiction and non-fiction dog books out there. What's that? Yes, you're right, it's time for Woof of the Week. (coughs) Dogs inspire us in so many ways, not just in life, but in art and literature as well. (coughs) I hope you all enjoyed it and got some great gift ideas. I just can't recommend the books that we've covered this year more. So, Be sure to go back and have a listen to those episodes and all the shows featuring any dog books. And while you're there, be sure to leave us a review. Here's wishing everybody a really good festive season. So Merry Christmas from me, Prudence, Mr. Binks, even my cat Gremlin, and of course my producer, Mike and his dog, Billy. And we will be back in your feed on the 2nd of January when we've got a treat. We're talking to Victoria Stilwell live from Atlanta about how to put your dog training new year's resolutions into practice see you then